There's been a huge erosion of family values over the last five plus decades. If you go back and look over the last 50 plus years, you'll go, there's a lot of things that tilted. Roe versus Wade. Contraception was legalized in 1975. Divorce rate began to skyrocket. When you go back and start to look at a lot of the things that our government did over the last 50, 60 years, you go, what happened? What happened to the values? And reality is the lines between right and wrong, good and bad, between holiness and what even is considered to be evil, the lines have become so muddied, disturbed, and distorted in our culture, it's not even funny. Moral absolutes and objective truth has been disregarded. People have pretty much just thrown it away. And every person is kind of left to define what they want to live. Opinions and perception become pretty much the standard of doing life. We're in desperate need to establish and reestablish godly principles and foundation in our personal lives and in our homes. Each and every one of us, this applies to each of us today. Now, for us personally, as I look at our family, uh, family values are essential. They're non-negotiables. They're absolutely crucial for everything we do. And when you have family values that are biblically centered, here's what ends up happening. They end up being for the common good of every person that's in that home. And we need that desperately in our culture. We need it in our families here. We need it in our church. Family values should always, always encourage us to pursue the abundant life that's found in Jesus Christ. It should encourage us to embrace biblical truth. It should encourage us to give and receive love. What are the values that you live by? What are the established values inside your home? If you had to list what you feel to be the top characteristics of successful, healthy, godly families, what would they be? Now, let me tap the brakes and say this to you. This conversation here today is not just for parents. It's for the 15-year-old and the 20-year-old who's uh, only maybe 5, 10, 20 years away from having your own family. You would be wise to establish God-centered principles and values in your house starting today. The longer you wait, the more toxic and chaotic your life will become. What are the essentials for you? What would you say are the essentials? Focus on the family. Spearheaded by Dr. James Dobson. A few years back, he did a study on the characteristics of healthy and successful families. Listen to what he found to be true in these families. Uh, they value communication that is very transparent and honest. We're not lying. We're not trivializing. We're not minimizing certain things. They sit around and they're like, well, what do healthy families do? They communicate in an honest and transparent way. They listen to one another. They listen. And one of the great skills that you can have, whether it's just in your own personal life, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in coaching, whatever it is, do you really listen to what the other person's heart is saying, not just words? They affirm and they support one another. It's been crucial in our family, uh, in our family for years. When we start to look at it, it's like, hey, we're going to go support them. They've got a ball game. We're going to it. They've got this event. Hey, we go together. We support each other. 
It's huge for families to share those moments together. They, uh, they respect the privacy of one another. You want to talk about crazy when you look at kids that are uh, brought up in families and, and you can tell whether this has been a principle or a value. People come in and just violate boundaries and parameters. You're like, you're, you're not telling me uh, just what your behavior is. You're telling me what was acceptable in your home. Healthy families have boundaries. They have uh, protection in place for the, for the sake of saying, hey, we need some privacy at times. They develop trust with each other. They share meaningful time, and they celebrate certain traditions together. In our family, one of the things that we do, we're going to watch Christmas Vacation and Elf every Christmas. We have the same thing every Christmas morning to eat. There's certain traditions, even not just at Christmas at other times. It's like that's something that we do. Uh, Healthy families know the difference between right and wrong. They've been established, and they share core spiritual beliefs together. Now, that's important for a family to have is core values. We have core values here at our church, and we talk about how we're a church that desires to see you connected with Christ and others. We want to see you fully alive. But if you look at our core values, it's like, what do y'all em- emphasize? How do you kind of measure whether you're doing things according to the vision that God's given you? We, we start to break it down. It's like, what do you value? We value spiritual restoration. We want to see every person that walks on these grounds here and comes, on, uh, comes in for a Sunday morning worship or a Wednesday night, whatever. We want to see your soul totally restored and you spiritually alive. What else do you value? We value authentic worship. We want to see people worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We want to see people engaged, not just in a song here, but we're talking about in your prayer time, no matter what's going on. We want to see authentic worship. What else? We value biblical truth. You will not see us a la carte, cut and paste scripture. We try to handle the text within the context. Why? Because we value biblical truth. We value intentional discipleship. We want to see every person growing. Every person eventually going out and making disciples. We value generous service. Those are things that we value as a church. What do you value? I started thinking about in our own home. Tim, what do you and Barb value? I mean, you've been married 27 and a half years, but what do you value? One of the things we value is an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to see every person in that home come to faith. Can we force it? No. But we can model that. We can lead that. We want to see you fully alive. And so as I look at Benji and Caleb and Jesse and Hannah and Rachel and I look at our kids, I'm like, what do you want? I want to see them have an authentic personal relationship with Jesus. I don't want to see them trying to live on borrowed convictions and hand-me-downs. I don't want to see them trying to just uh, live in the shadow of what mom and dad believe. We believe is, is essential. You need to have an authentic relationship with Christ. We value the word of God in prayer. We value memorizing scripture, studying scripture. If you look inside of our home today, you walk in there, you'll see scripture hanging. Why? Because we value that. We value living a life of generosity. We value being a family that gives more than we take. We value taking care of other people. We value feeding others. We value sending people out on mission trips. We value living a life of generosity. We value in our home character over conduct. Reality is your behavior only says something is disrupted. We care more about what you believe and what your character is than just what your conduct is. We want to see your conduct good. 
But we want to see your character, your why develop. Conduct is a what. Character is a why. Get the why right, it starts to change the equation. We value that. We value loyalty and respect. We value being on time. Or at least most of us in my family do. If you deal with us, Benji Cash knows this as well as anything. Being on time for us means being there at least 20 to 30 minutes before whatever the scheduled time says. You'll hear me say this, but when you get there early, you get to be a part of creating the flow. And when you get there on time, you get to go with the flow. And when you get there late, you're trying to figure out what is the flow. Be on time. We value honoring your word. Do what you say you're going to do. I'd been here for only a, a few months back in 2011. And back in 2010, Richard, my buddy who spearheads our counseling here, uh, that's where Richard and I met, and Barb and Amber, and that's where we con connected with that family years ago. But that August, we made a commitment in 2010 that we were going to play on this certain baseball team. We made a commitment. We said we'd do it. I was chaplain of the Braves doing sports ministry, and I had not even sat down with these people over here, but we made a commitment. And uh, that spring, one of the gentlemen that attended here for a short period of time kind of rebuked me and asked me where my wife and my son was on a Sunday. And I said, we made a commitment. Well, you're going to let baseball be more important than God? Never. But what you don't know is we gave our word that we were going to do something. And our word means more than anything. We said we would be there and we're going to stink and do it. And when we say we're going to do something, we do it. Whether you like it, whether it's messy, whether it's muddy, if you commit to something, follow through. We value preserving unity. Your attitude and behavior at times is not going to, it's not going to disrupt who we are and what we're doing. We're going to preserve unity. We're going to fight for it. We value forgiveness and faithfulness. That's crucial in our home. We value being responsible and be independable. When your ability becomes a liability because you have no accountability, there's a problem. You will be held accountable. We value loving your neighbor. And we value work ethic. If you come to our house and we're doing yard work and you've spent the night, you will do yard work. If you eat off my table, you can pull weeds out of my yard. <laughs> we value working together. Now, here's what I believe. I believe under my voice today as we look at family, I believe each and every one of us desire to have a godly family. We don't want to raise a bunch of hate, uh, hellions and pagans. None of us, I don't think, wake up in the morning going, I just want my son to turn out like Dahmer. I don't think we think that. Right? I don't think we do, but you've got to be intentional if you're going to raise godly kids and have a godly family. Now, here's the problem. We live in a world that is flooded with twisted values and twisted concepts today. We live in a world that is saturated with postmodern belief, postmodernism. It absolutely ignores and rejects truth at all levels. 
at all levels. If you ever do a study on postmodernism, you'll be blown away with how it saturates, infiltrates, and drives the humanistic mindset that we find to be prevalent in our society. I started looking at postmodernism. And postmodernism, at, at the core, it exists in Genesis 3, but the manifestations today are even crazier than Genesis 3. But the root question of postmodernism is this. Has God really said? When the serpent came to Eve, has God really said you shouldn't touch that? Has God really said you can't eat that? Has God really said you can't do that? So postmodernism is huge in our culture, and it fights against family big time. It fights against Christ-centeredness big time. Let, let me give you some thoughts on postmodernism. Postmodernists refuse to place their philosophy in a defined category. Everything is vague. It's unidentifiable. Postmodernists. What do you believe? It's going to be vague. You can't define it. It's subjective. It's based on opinion. Postmodernists believe that truth is only an illusion and it's misused by people to gain power over others. Postmodernists. There's no absolutes. Uh, traditional authority. Traditional authority for a postmodernist is seen, is seen to be false and corrupt. It's fallacious. But we, we don't want any uh, absolute authority. They speak out against any type of Christian values and principles and morals. Postmodernism. They believe morality is personal. And they define morality as each person's private code of ethics without any need to follow anything that's traditional. It's crazy. Experience is valued more highly than anything, even reason and truth. Truth is only relative and subjective. You define it. That's the culture in which we live today. That's the culture in which our kids are being brought up today. That is the conversations that fake news and whatever other kind of news are having with our kids today. It is the elimination of absolutes. And whatever you want to believe, as long as it fits, go for it. Here's something I would say to you. If the Bible and the Word of God is not absolute truth, and if personal experiences allowed to define what truth actually is, then a personal relationship with Jesus Christ becomes worthless. Did you hear me? If this is not true, and if this is not the standard by which we live our lives, and if personal experience and opinion, if that's all that matters, then you don't need a relationship with Jesus Christ because you're not lost and your way's as good as anyway. But if it's wrong, if postmodernism and humanism is wrong, you are a sinner born into this world in sin, and you desperately need a Savior. But our culture has tried to eliminate truth. They've tried to eliminate it. Ravi Zachariah said this, and the quote should be behind me. But he said, word and reality must match. Word and reality must match. If not, you amputate description from fact. Truth will always correspond with reality. Truth is not defined by perception. Perception is subjective. To ignore, 
objective absolutes is to disregard reality. And I've had conversations at times, and you look at people and you're like, this dude's not even living in reality. They're not even living in reality. Why? They've dismissed the possibility of moral absolutes and objective truth. They've dissed it. And it's like, well, I, I live according to the way I want to live. Second Timothy, Paul, in this second pastoral epistle as he writes to young Timothy, Paul has only got a few days left on the planet when he writes this. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, listen to me. Realize this, in the last days, difficult, terrible times are going to come. Things are going to be rough. Listen to me, Timothy. People will be lovers of themselves. Hedonism will drive the way people do life. It's all about themselves. They will become lovers of money. They will be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. They're going to be brutal. And then he says they're going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They're always looking for a pleasure fix. That's our culture. That's the world in which we find ourselves living. He goes on to say they're depraved minds. They're opposing truth. They're void of judgment. And they do not have the ability to discern. That is America 2018. And that is what we've inherited over the years when family after family and generational sins get passed on because we refuse to honor God. We refuse to stand on biblical truth. 50 plus years ago, go back and do a study on the baby boomers. They tried to redefine what truth and morality was. And they came up with this, experience, uh, this experiment to really try to eliminate ultimate authority. We don't want any authority. We don't, even, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. So we're raising hell, smoking jays, hanging out at Woodstock with Hendrix Cream, Joplin, and the doors, and we're on our own agenda. It's love, peace, sex, have fun, go for it. That was the mindset. I've got friends that grew up around that Hendrix and Cream and Joplin era. Woodstock was the... It was, it was it. It was like the Mecca. That's where you go. We're celebrating life. Come on, y'all know it. Younger generation, listen to me. I'm sharing this with you for a reason. The boomers broke away from traditional values, and they started introducing what they called these new ideas and new freedoms with religious enthusiasm. A guy by the name of David Bowl, he wrote an article a few years back called Hanging by a Thread. And he looked at some of these freedom statements that the boomers had come up with. They're crazy. But when this push started happening, you can do whatever you want to do. Hollywood jumped on it. And newspapers and books and music and everything. They jumped on it saying, yes, this is where we're going. At 5.30 this morning while I was doing cardio, I'm like, I want to go back and just look at the lyrics of Pink Floyd's song, Another Brick in the Wall. And those songs are so heartbreaking. They're hopeless. Now, younger generation, if you want to listen to real music, I mean, go back and listen to some of that stuff. I promise you, Kansas, Dust, 
in the wind, point of no return. But when you listen to the lyrics that came out of that boomer mindset, what you're hearing being sung is hopeless, no direction. Hedonism is not working. Where do we turn? What do we do? That was that generation. But David Bowl in this article on these uh, seven freedom statements, I want you to hear these. This is what the boomer generation was pushing. And I'm a young, I'm right at the end of the boomer generation, if you will. But they said this, personal happiness is the main goal in life. The only thing that matters is personal happiness. Self-fulfillment and independence are the highest goals for any person. Hugh Hefner's philosophy of if it feels good, do it, became the American philosophy. That's what we inherited. When I was growing up, that was the mindset. There ain't no rules, dude. You ain't, get, you ain't getting caught. It don't matter. Just go for it. And so many people are coloring outside the lines and there's no values. I didn't grow up in a Christ-centered home. I didn't grow up where biblical values were taught. I didn't. I love my mom and dad. They're phenomenal people. But I didn't grow up being taught truth. And so I bought into a lot of the hedonistic mindset. If it feels good, whatever makes you happy, do it. Here was another value statement of the boomers. Don't miss this one. Marriage for life is old-fashioned. The idea of marrying someone for life is stupid and archaic. They said divorce is not harmful and it should be encouraged if couples are not happy or feel compatible. Don't worry about what happens to the kids. They'll be okay. That was a boomer mindset. That was one of the freedom statements of disregarding God, refusing to submit to absolutes. A third one, traditional roles in the family are outdated. Women should be encouraged to pursue careers, personal fulfillment. And what happened during this generation is women's lib went to a new level. Are we equal in God's eyes? Yeah, but God gave us different roles and responsibilities inside the home. God set it up. It's not a chauvinist thing. I mean, God gave us all dignity. But the women's live movement pushed and so many families were destroyed. A fourth one, teenagers should make their own choices. How is that working out? <laughs> 15-year-old boy going through a surge of testosterone? That dude ain't got a lick of common sense. They said parents should let go of their children as they begin adolescence. Teenagers can make their own choices. Quit interfering with your teenagers. How is that working? How is that working? But this was a major push during that day. And again, it was the destruction of family. Here was number five. There is no such thing as absolute morality. This was a boomer statement. We encourage each person to experience sexual freedom by setting aside any biblical morals regarding premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality, tolerance for any lifestyle is accepted. Are you nuts? Tolerance for any lifestyle should be accepted. Chesterton was right. G.K. Chester. Tolerance is the virtue for the man with no conviction. 
Who tolerates everything? The person who has no conviction. Who applauds everything? The man who has no conviction. Again, if there is absolutely no standard for truth and everything is subjective, it is impossible to ever fail a test. Madison and I were having this talk yesterday. There are certain teachers out there that push this postmodern thought process. And they will look at you and say, truth is subjective. There is no absolute truth. When they give you a test, it's impossible then for you to ever fail a test if truth is subjective. Because you can look and say, well, I don't agree with what you think. Opinions, that's all that matters. I would have made all A's, but I didn't. Because there's such a thing as truth. But we try to eliminate it. Listen to what the boomers said. Jim, this is our generation, dude. We, we hung out here. Question all authority at every opportunity. Question authority. Then number seven, the influence of Christianity should be eliminated from public life. We need to know God's truth. We need to know what his word says. We need to believe that there is a holy standard. This book is inspired. It's true for all people of all places of all times. And when we ignore and reject these principles, we're opening ourselves up for all kinds of chaos. There now today, today, you can't assume that even people have a general knowledge of the Bible. Have you noticed that? You, you can't assume that people have even a general knowledge. I remember doing an outreach up in Toronto years ago, where Barb is from. And I remember when I came back from doing this baseball clinic that certain day, I said, Barb, it is different here than it is in the South. When I share with kids at a clinic in the South, I look at them and say, God loves you. And they, at some point, believe that there is a God and this God has love. I said, Barb, the people in the South that I've dealt with, they're ungodly. They believe there's a God. They just don't accept him, receive him, and respond to him. I said, Barb, the kids here are godless. They don't even believe there's a God. I can't start with the premise that God loves you when they don't even believe there's a God. And that's where we're at in this postmodern mindset, even here in America today. There's such a melting pot of people now, and you can't assume that people even have basic general understanding. Our kids are growing up where it's not being taught. I remember in the fifth grade, walking out of a school, getting ready to get on the bus, and I remember the Gideons out there with boxes handing Bibles to every one of us. The first copy of Scripture I ever received was a Gideon Bible. And you know what we've done? We've told the Gideons, you can't give Bibles out at schools anymore. But we'll let you give them out in prison. If we started giving them out over here when they were eight, it would probably change the narrative of where they're at at 28. It is a jacked up mindset. It's okay for you 
to read it now since you've jacked everything up. But it's not okay to read it before you jack everything up. Establish godly principles. Again, our children are growing up where it's ignored, it's rejected. Deuteronomy chapter 6, listen to this. Listen, God, God is speaking to his covenant people Israel. He's made a covenant with these folks. And in Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, he's like, Israel, hear, hear me out. It, 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 Israel, listen, listen to me. Listen, I've made a covenant with you. I want to see you win. I want to see you be the best that you can be. Hear me, O Israel. Come on. Listen to me. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one and there's only one God. And you know the true God. Now, this God has spoken and this God has shared certain things with you. Now, listen, listen, Israel. You shall love the Lord your God. Love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Matthew writes later, love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love God. That, that's where it starts for us. Do I love God? Or do I just love some of the benefits of hanging out in this God culture? Well, yeah, I, I prayed, man. I know where I'm going. Save it. You don't know God. You walked in all. You got wet in a tank of water. We're talking about knowing God. We're going to baptize quite a few here in a few moments that said, you know what? I, I prayed prayers, but I wasn't surrendered. I didn't know God. This is what he says. You shall, shall love God. And then he goes on to say, these words which I am commanding, not suggesting, these ain't suggestions. I'm commanding you with my word. Listen to what he says. They shall be on your heart. Cement them at the core of your belief. You shall teach them to your sons, your daughters, and your family. He goes on to say, hey, when you sit down, talk about it. When you're walking, talk about it. When you're getting ready to lay down, talk about it. When you rise up in the morning, these words shall be on your heart if you're going to have a successful, healthy family. Don't, 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 don't ignore me. He goes on to say, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, frontals of your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house on your gates. What he's saying is, post my word everywhere you can see it. Hide it in your heart. Let it get deep down inside of you. And if you meditate on that passage, he's like, you shall do this. If you're going to win, you shall do this. If you're going to have a successful family, you shall do this. If you want to see your kids brought up in a healthy environment, you shall do this. This is not, this is not something that can be negotiated. So what are the values in your home? No, no, no. What are your personal values that you're willing to die for? And, and what are those values that you're teaching to that next generation? My buddy Nick Howard, who's 19, 20 years old, he came up to me after the first service and he goes, I love this. I said, you're 19. And, and when you've been brought up in a family that maybe didn't have these values that they really tried to live out every day and they were not posted and taught, you want this to be your family, don't you? Don't, don't you want to have these families, uh, values in your family? I mean, 
One dude's about to get married in 15 days, and Benji and Josh are getting married this summer and fall or whatever. And I'm looking going, you want these values. You, you don't want to compromise, son. You don't want to negotiate. And the quicker you lay them out, the better off you're going to be. You don't want all hell breaking loose and all of a sudden feel like you got to cram for finals and come up with a solution. God's already laid it out. I would highly encourage you, meditate on Exodus 20. God gives these protections to Israel again. We call them 10 commandments, but they're 10 protections. They're 10 promotions on how to do life. They're not 10 preventions. I was sitting down paraphrasing. Take the 10 and paraphrase them. Write them in your own words. But it's like, you shall. Yeah, you shall. Cash. You shall keep God as the center of your life. Jesus at the center of it all. Let him be the center of everything you do. Cash, nothing comes before God, absolutely nothing. Don't you put anything before your God. Cash, if you claim to know Jesus, live like it. Live it out. Cash, establish a holy day each week to rest and refuel. Rest and refuel. Don't be doing something every day. Get away. When we were in Israel back in January, it was so cool from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. You would see people and they would say, Shabbat Shalom. But they took that, you've been there. They would take that window of 24 hours and do nothing. They were resting. They were hanging with family. They were refueling. And when you study the Feast of Israel, they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, and they would leave their homes and go out into the wilderness and pitch tent for like seven to ten days and chill. Why? Because you've got to refuel and refresh. You've got to set apart Christ as being Lord of your life. You've got to set aside a day. Chill. What are you doing today? I'm chilling. Brother, I really need to talk. You wait. I'm chilling. <laughs> if you would take a Sabbath occasionally, you probably wouldn't need to talk. You get with God and refuel. But I'm going through it. Paraphrase the, the 10. Cash, re, respect and honor your mom and daddy. And we all come from different families, but honor your mom and daddy. Cash, killing another person's wrong, dude, even if you do it with your words. Ain't no killing. Cash, messing around with another man's wife is perverted. Stay in covenant. You made one. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. Marriages are blowing up. You, that's perverted, homie. Stay with your girl. Okay. Cash, don't take something that don't belong to you. Go work for it. Gossiping or telling lies will ruin your life. Tell the truth. Lusting after your friend's stuff is twisted. I would highly encourage you to take those. What has God commanded? What has God said? You shall. Statements. Now, God's truths are here to protect us, and I will promise you this. When we ignore these, reject these, or put these aside, the cost can be devastating. The cost is devastating. You've got to fight for it, but you've got to believe what God says to be true. Proverbs 3, 7, we're going to wrap. 
Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. There's so many scripture that I would highly encourage you. This is Proverbs 3, 7. We'll quote 3, 5, and 6 like a champ, right? We'll, we'll quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. Yeah, we'll, we'll quote that in verse 7. Hey, stop it. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear God and run from evil. So I would highly encourage part of your resolve as we talk here today to be this. I am desperate to know and honor God. I will not negotiate, and I will not compromise when it comes to biblical truth. I will not allow the postmodern thought process and arguments. I will not allow subjective reasoning to have any influence in my life. I want to know what truth is, but I want to be able to share truth and love, and I want to be able to sanctify Christ in my heart so that I'm already always ready to give an answer for the hope that I have within me. But I've got to know truth. I want to honor God and know God with everything I have. I will hide his word in my heart. I will teach his word to my family. When I sit down, when I stand up, when I walk, when I lay down, no matter what's going on, I'm going to share the love of Christ with people. I will bind them in my house, on my head. I will write sticky notes. If you're like Benji, you can tattoo your entire body with scripture, whatever. Whatever it takes to know God's word and remember it, put it on you somewhere. Stick it on you somewhere. I will live in the light of God's truth. Guys, I want to encourage you. Family matters. It starts in your personal life. And again, it doesn't matter what your age in here today is. It starts in your personal life. It starts where you're personally surrendered, where you really have unplugged from the less wild lovers, where you are really sanctifying Christ, where you are really pressing into the Word of God. Can I tell you, 32 years, almost 33 since I surrendered, I have never regretted studying God's Word every day. I can promise you, I've regretted eating too much pizza, and I've regretted drinking too much beer years ago, and I've regretted, and I, I've never woke up and thought, I am hungover because I read too much. <laughs> I feel so bloated because I read too much. I shouldn't have prayed that long last night. <laughs> Come on. But every one of us in this room is, I just wasted two hours playing a stupid video game. I stayed up way too late last night watching Netflix in the series of. But I promise you, I've never met a person that said, I'm really disappointed that I memorized too much scripture this week. I'm really disappointed that I really spent time communing with the Trinity really feel like I'm starting to understand the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit at a new level? No. You won't. But you have to make that resolve to say, I am surrendering.